From Holland to Hampton, from Brisbane to Brussels, we tell the stories of the people who make the world of international law and business turn. We give glimpses into their lives and provide insights from their experiences. These accounts come from every sector and every industry around the globe. Simply put, and without further ado, I am Chris Campbell, and you're listening to Tales of the Tribunal, where practice meets personality. Hello, and welcome back to Tales of the Tribunal with Chris Campbell. Listeners, welcome back for another episode. We took a couple of weeks off to record and put some really cool, great content together ahead of a longer break that we'll be taking here at the end of the month. Look, it's going to be August holidays. Show host got to take a break, too. But I hope that you enjoyed some of our new segments, the ADR Nuggets and similar features like that, some of the interviews that we did, like the segment that we did with Dana McGrath and things of that nature. Um, we're really trying to experiment with some new stuff on the show. So hang in there with us and, well, keep tuning into Disputes Digest to see all the cool stuff that we're working on. And that show goes on year round, so it's a little bit of extra stuff for you to enjoy. In any case, enough delay. Why don't we jump into this week's guest? Or should I say, guest? In the midst of a global pandemic, Lisa Reiser and Ulrike Gottenberg missed the sense of community and fellowship that is common in the world of international arbitration. So they had a bold idea. They started thinking of ways that they could still have lunch meetings during the lockdown. Safely, of course. The idea really caught on when they founded a dynamic and cool initiative called Arbitration Lunch Match which has become a worldwide success. I know that because I've seen people posting about it and the fact that it was filling up my newsfeed is what encouraged me to get in touch with them. Their story about founding this project, its reception in the field and where it's going next is a great one. So grab your fork and knife, sit back and enjoy my conversation with Lisa Reiser and Ulrike Gottenberg of the Arbitration Lunch Match. Bon appetit. Hello and welcome back to Tales of the Tribunal with Chris Campbell. I'm your host, Chris Campbell, here to tell you another tale, another story from around the wide, wide world of international law, business, and dispute resolution. With me, I have two very special guests today. Now, I would say that this would be just a regular run-of-the-mill walk through the studio, but it's a lunch of sorts. And I'll tell you a little bit why I use this lunch pun here in a moment, because we have the founders of a great initiative called the Arbitration Lunch Match. Ms. Ulrich Gottenberg and Ms. Lisa Reiser. Ulrich, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us here. And Lisa, welcome to the show to you as well. Thank you, Chris. We are more than happy to be there. Now, look, I've given a little appetizer to our listeners um, in this Arbitration Lunch Match metaphor about what they can expect to hear about. But before we get there, we would love to know, Lisa, who are you? Where are you from? What do the people need to know? Thanks, Chris. Well, um, where to start? I'm Lisa Reiser. I am from, I, have, I currently work at Baker McKenzie's in Frankfurt. And I originally grew up in a city not too far away from Frankfurt. I wouldn't have thought that um, I would stay so close by. But uh, at the end of the day, I got into arbitration and working for Baker's basically by accident. I think I um, I studied law at the University of Mainz 
um, which is also a city not too far away. Um, and I um, participated in the Willem Sivis Arbitration Wood Court quite a few years ago. Um, and back then, uh, I had no idea what arbitration was. Uh, I only, the, the international in this international Wismut caught my eye, so I participated, and only then I learned about arbitration and um, was fascinated by the topic. And now it's been 10 years that I've been working in Baker McKenzie's dispute resolution department and working large construction and post MA disputes. Very well. That's a very complete answer. And I mean, we've had a number of guests on the show that have been part of this Vismood tradition. So it's good to meet another Moody. Yeah. And how about you, Ulrike? Same question. Who are you? Where are you from? And what do the people need to know? Well, I am born in Hamburg. I'm married to Bavarian, and this is why sort of we settled in the middle, which is Düsseldorf, in order to compromise on 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 all aspects. Um, I have two kids, 14 and 11, so this is going to be quite an exciting age. And um, yeah, I juggle my life of being an absolute passionate lawyer. I just set up my own firm a year ago after 20 years in a big German um, law firm. And actually, I never wanted to be a lawyer. My, I come from a lawyer household. And I think my entire life after initially thinking about getting a sort of teacher, I decided or I thought always I would become ambassador. And that was sort of, I think, until I did I did my A-levels, it was very clear I was going to be ambassador, although I, I think I'm rather undiplomatic. But anyway, um, I nevertheless studied law because I thought it could be a helpful thing. And then sort of I came across um, at, at the chair of Professor Witz because I did my studies in Saarbrücken, which was founded by um, sort of still at the time being French by University of uh, Lyon. And sort of you can do two years of, of, of French studies over there. So Professor Witz, who's having a chair for French law, was setting up a sort of internal this sort of at that time, the this wasn't just more or less about to be starting. And um, I was doing that seminar and we even had a sort of a letterbox for the court at the at the chair. And it really was it really revolutionized my life. I was representative for respondent. It was a CISC, a CISG case. And yeah, I think that was really where I said I want to be a lawyer and I want to do that in my real life. And I yeah, that's the matter of passion. And since sort of I try to, you know, bring all my many ideas and, and the 20 days, the 24 hours of a day into sort of one lovely timeline for everybody. Well, sure. I mean, it sounds like uh, although an ambassador, perhaps the more traditional uh, usage of the term was what you were thinking about originally, one could argue you are playing the role of an ambassador when it comes to international law, international arbitration and the things that you do, right? Which is, I think, yeah, maybe in that way, sort of, I, I still do think, yes, I do represent um, a good good bunch of well, female leading arbitration practitioners. And I, I think sort of working internationally, that's sort of what arbitration has in common. And actually, which was the background of why I wanted to be an uh, ambassador, because I wanted to live abroad and I wanted to see different cultures. And actually, now I sit in, in Dusseldorf, which is a very small village. But, but but still sort of I think my table is is very international and I could it couldn't be more international. So in the end, whenever I go out, I try 
try to do something good. And that's also what, what the ambassador probably should do. Well, sure. No, and that, that's, I think, a perfectly reasonable way to think about it and a really sort of interesting path as well. And I guess coming back to you for a second, Lisa, well, I mean, we know that uh, Oriki was considering a life as an ambassador. What was uh, your alternative uh, career path? What's the what if for, for you? To be honest, there was, I remember when I was six years old, I wanted to work in a post office. A post because, office? Yes, I like stamping. <laughs> I like that everything is in order, that you have your letters, you have your letterbox, and you know, you have a very constructive a very um, specific way of doing things and you know how to do it and I guess that's how I ended up in law somehow because it's also it, it's a very lo logic way of learning and uh, it builds up on the basic principles of law and then you go more into the details so that's this structured thinking and structured working is um, very plays into hands with my idea of thinking and working. So maybe post from from the post office to the law firm, it's not such a long way as you would usually think. But apart from well, that, uh, no, there were never any other. I mean, I don't come from a lawyer's family or legal family. My uh, mother was a, a primary school teacher. Um, my my father is self-employed and there's all sorts of projects. So maybe this is where I got the project idea from. He's very creative and realizes projects. And that's one of the parts that I enjoy in my daily work as well. So not only the structured work on legal briefs and submissions, but also um, the other part of my day working on projects and being creative. Well, look, you are actually, you know, you, you had no way of knowing this, but you're actually speaking my language, Lisa. I'll tell you a secret that's a, a first. Many people in the arbitration community don't, likely don't know this. Um, my father worked for the post office for like 30 years. Um, and my grandfather worked for the U.S. Postal Service for a couple of decades, too. So we are a proud post office family here in the Campbell House. All right. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but I think it's that last point that's really interesting, right? Um, and we can use this as a great segue. When you talk about projects to, um, well, one of the things that we te teased out at the start of the conversation, but, you know, we want to jump right into as well. Let's start with this fantastic and dynamic initiative that has kind of taken the arbitration world by storm. I, I, and pretty uh, firmly remember, you know, uh, you know, some time ago, I'm, I'm typing away on LinkedIn and, you know, just kind of scrolling through, seeing pictures for the day. And all of a sudden I start seeing all these pictures in my newsfeed showing up of, of groups of women having lunch in the arbitration. They say, oh, this is hashtag arbitration lunch match. And I'm like, oh, follow the hashtag and you see all this. So for those that may not have heard of it just yet, um, why don't we toss this to you, Lisa, first, and then, Ulrike, you can um, give some, some filler. Uh, what is the arbitration lunch match? Sure, I'm, I'm happy to explain. Um, to, to keep it brief, I'd say it's, it's an international networking event for, as you already mentioned, the female arbitration practitioners. And as you've seen on LinkedIn, instead of meeting the whole community at once at a big conference or a big networking event, we match up to six female practitioners who work in the same city to meet for an intimate lunch. The most fun part of arbitration lunch match certainly is that those participants don't know who they will meet up with before they uh, arrive at the restaurant. So they enroll via our website. They tell us where they are in the world and 
on which days within our specific week that we designated for the event they are available and then we confirm via email um, yes you've been matched you will meet at the restaurant xyz in paris on wednesday and then they go to the restaurant and it's only then that they find out who the other five participants are so it's it's a arbitration lunch match blind date i mean that is just so cool <laughs> um as you're describing it I, my mind it, it is blown um before I ask any more questions, Ulrike, what else would you have to add to that um, about the idea? Yeah, I mean, the idea really came sort of, it, it was born out of the COVID crisis. And, and I mean, initially we had our lunch like this very regular automatic thing, like every first month of a quarter and the first Wednesday of that first week at 12 o'clock in the same restaurant, which, and everybody came, whoever was available. And then all of a sudden, you know, there was COVID. And then sort of we had, I think, one round of these virtual meetings, which, well, you know, if you do cooking together behind your computer, it's it's not that lovely. And then at least at least in Germany, we had the in, in our area, the, the provision that sort of four households could meet. So why not bring four women together? And now sort of, you know, it honestly took a dynamic, which at least I would have never, ever expected. It just and it was a dynamic that came out of itself, sort of. I think initially for us, it was more something like the, the life is so sad with COVID and we need to do something about it. And, you know, it was a <laughs> and we get mails from and, 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 and contacts from all around the world via LinkedIn or, or the more, you know, they ladies who just show up and say, I am that and that in Mexico, please, can I set up the next lunch? You know, it's incredible. And I just wrote, I think yesterday to Lisa, we, we could become full time lunch organizers you know we are full-time lunchers <laughs> as long as we don't eat it all ourselves it's all right no exactly i was gonna say i could do that too but my nutritionist probably wouldn't appreciate it <laughs> um, you know the crazy thing is also it, it really i mean it floods it floods linkedin and that's also something which entirely at least i underestimated and and there is this one week where more or less the entire world goes lunching now and we will still add some further countries because we you know we looked at the map and we've seen you know it looks like so much but there's still plenty of room on the map where we can add further ladies sure and i just i have so many questions i'm um, just uh, you know to the logistics so i think what i've heard you just say it's one week it's one week every year or is it every quarter we organize it um I mean, as Ulrike said, it, auto, it sort of started out of the blue and it's not that we had this plan set out right from the beginning, but we played along. And now um, we usually have lunches twice a year. So we have one in springtime, which uh, just uh, last month in May, we had the last big event. And then we are planning to have the next round in September this year before everyone goes into this uh, holiday season. But, but we, we just, see how it goes and and see how COVID develops also um sure. and and hope that we can keep it as a as an biannual event yeah and as Ulrike was uh, describing one of the things that kind of was jumping out of my mind is that yes it floods linkedin but it feels very organic it feels very inclusive um i have heard of people participating from all walks, from you know, very junior to very senior. So it seems like there's a wide reach as well. I mean, yes, I know you're looking to expand, but it seems like it's it's a pretty wide net already, no? 
Yeah, I mean, sort of, we sort of we we want to have lawyers or at least sort of people who have finalized or have finished their studies. So we we don't go to the to the students, but really people practicing or ladies practicing, um, and that can be lawyers in the house, judge, you know, whoever is working with arbitration. Um, of course, initially we thought we would go more for the elder ones because in the, I think the youngest are better organized than the old ladies. We can still learn a lot from them some, to some degree. And, but, but we don't, you know, we, we just, as long as the, the, the idea of arbitration com joins us, that's, that's the essence. And in terms of, so, I mean, everybody can register. We don't, you know, you just need to be in time for the registration, then you get your place at the table. But we, what we definitely can add is, is, is geographic-wise further places. And if we wanted to, I think we could add like 50 new countries. And but, but the issue is still, you know, sometimes we also need to work on our desk. You know, so the issue is, as I said, not only full-time lunching. Um, and to kick it off in a country initially, you really need to, you know, monitor it a tiny bit. And, and so this is just one step after the other one. And we will see where it ends. You know, maybe maybe like in two years, nobody wants to have lunch anymore. But well, for the time being, it's just incredible. And we see we, we see where the project brings us. You know, we, we are on a great journey. We met so many incredible women all across the world, um, virtually for now, um, at least most of them. Or, or reconnected with women who have we haven't seen for a while, um, and and this was a great opportunity to catch up again and say, well, listen, you are in Mexico. Would you like to be our new ambassador? And this is where it, that's so funny. Uh, Ulrike's ambassador idea um, comes into play again because we, our colleagues, our female colleagues who organize. Uh, the lunches in their respective cities across the world uh, are our international ambassadors for the project. So um, we we are ambassadors. Yeah. Ambassadors, yeah, that's true. But that's lovely because, you know, the idea is we have two ladies per country who sort of set up locally, regionally, who open up their, I mean, first of all, they, they send out the invites, but of course they can be forwarded. So there is no, no, reduced club or limited club who can attend. But I mean, you need to kick it off somehow. And of course, they know what is the best place for, for a lunch. And so they then take sort of the local organization, the best estate from us. And um, yeah, it brings us to crazy things like, I, I mean, the, the GAR event, we were for the GAR award, we were on pledge like um, second place. I mean, that's for something which just started, you know, and we never thought about anything. So it's 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 beautiful to to see all that feedback. And I think what is really incredible is it's something that unites the ladies. And it's not this negative thing about being desperate <laughs> and needing help, but it's just about having a super fun event. We had a conference in Germany, the, the arbitration conference, um, the last two days, and I was really approached by angry. And I think they were really a bit furious, frustrated man saying, like, how can you dare in times of equality and sort of treating everybody equal? How can you dare to set up a lunch for women only? And I said, well, nobody prevents you from lunching yourself, you know, but not with us, at least at that table. So it's, wait, it's, wait, wait, it's wait, interesting wait, wait, wait. how reactions are. I got I to gotta cut in here. 
You're telling me men are coming up to you and mad that they get invited to the ladies' lunch? Yeah, they feel <laughs> excluded. So I said, welcome. And now you know how women have felt the last 500 years, not going to any men's club or whatever. Yeah, that's and a weird... And the funny uh... thing is, you know, which was for me really the symbol this year was this picture of this incredible table at the Munich Security Conference where was in Bayerischer Hof top top floor and they had this like a U shape or O shape huge table with beautiful flowers and only men with their ties. And I thought it was so incredible because we were like two or three weeks later with our lunch. And I mean, we had all these joyful, colorful, happy lunch pictures. So that that's really for me the the anti picture of how lunch lunches can also be. Yeah, no. and um... I, I find myself agreeing with all the things that you've just outlined. Um, you know, the, the sort of parallel that I'll share is that especially being a person of color that works in the international law space, and especially a black American, there's not many, not as many as we would like to, to be represented in the field. And there are often times where we might be the only one or we might do an initiative or a project that is for black people. And sometimes someone will come up and say, hey, how come you didn't invite the non-black people? And it's like, oh, whoa. <laughs> It's not an exclusionary thing. It's something so that we can identify and build, you know, some some sort of uh, cohesiveness together. It's not meant to be sort of anything negative at all. But anyway, it it shows at least people are speaking about it, and and it's I mean anybody can set up a comparable lunch, and I think this is Lisa something which we experienced also over the last two weeks that women who have a different professional focus, still lawyers, um, would like to set up a comparable network or a lunch system and i mean this is beautiful to see sort of how it spreads around and of course we don't have a um well we don't have exclusivity on that concept but it's lovely that we're integrated yeah no i, I look i am sharing this initiative with my listeners but i assume many of them may already know about it and in fact i mean I, i've heard about it from all reaches of the planet so i mean again hats off uh to you ladies for the the work that you've done in setting this up um I guess the last question that I would have specifically about um, the, the arbitration lunch match in particular is, and maybe this is just a broad question, when, when is it a success? When do you look at it and say, our work is done? I hope our work is never, I mean, never, you never say never, but uh, I, I would like to continue many more years with the project, but I already call it a success. And I, I call it a success whenever I see one picture on LinkedIn of four or five happy female lawyers meeting up for lunch. Uh, the, the, all, of, all of those small meetings are, are a success for me. And um, yeah, it doesn't really matter if it's only four people in a country or if it's 200 in a country. Since since the concept of arbitration lunch match is that everyone across the world meets within the same week, they are all part of this big arbitration lunch match family. I would hope that this also spreads or, or continues um, cross-border so whenever one of the lunch match ladies goes to milan for an arbitration hearing and she's there early because i don't know the meeting got postponed or it only starts the next day she will start calling up one of the other lunch ladies who met in milan 
last time around and 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 meet up for for a casual lunch to to network and chat that would be beautiful i would really love to see that happening that's great um well uh i guess this is my 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 actual last question is there anything else that you want people to know about the arbitration lunch match anything else that we can uh make sure to sort of cap capture here i think what what the ladies would need to know is don't be afraid to register and then sort of develop something out of it. I mean, it's just, you know, we give we give the initiative or the incentive and, and great things can be developed also out of that. And it feels good to know that the community is not so small as it may sometimes feel. Yeah, that's well said. Um, we will make sure to include um, in the show notes how people can find out more information, how uh, women can sign up for the next iteration all that fun stuff. Now, of course, the bonus question, it's the, the gotcha. What is the best lunch or one of your memorable meals that you've had at one of these arbitration lunches, if any? Hard to tell. I wouldn't pick any specific lunch. I'm looking forward, or maybe, actually, there's a specific lunch because, um, I mean, in the, in the first rounds that Ulrike and I did, and we started off in October 2020, we did the matching of the women by hand. So we had an Excel spreadsheet and we just ticked, you know, whenever we had five or six women who are in the same city and are available on the same day that we matched them to meet up, which also meant that I always knew who I would meet. So I, Ulrike and I were the only ones for whom it wasn't a blind date because, of course, we did the matching. So we knew who it was. And last time, because this event got so big, um, we started using uh, an algorithm to do the matching. Um, I'm not sure if you can call it artificial intelligence yet, but it's an algorithm and um, it, uh, it, it goes, I mean, it basically does what we did prior to, to that by hand. It, it looks through who is available on which day, uh, who's not from the same law firm, because obviously we don't want to meet you don't want to have two women meeting who are from the same law firm because they obviously know each other. Um, but apart from that, it just goes through all those lists of women. And, and I'm saying this because last time we had 950 women participating. So there was no way we could have done that by hand. And due to this algorithm, we also didn't know for the first time around who we would meet for lunch. And that was very exciting to finally also have this privilege of a blind date. No, that, that does sound cool. And, you know, you talk about using an algorithm. Uh, we did something similar for when we ran Arbitration Idol, which is kind of our little charity thing that we've done the last uh, couple of years. We didn't do it this year. Um, but, yeah, yeah, at some point the numbers just become <laughs> too, too great <laughs> to be doing it by hand. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Well, look. Um, let's let's take a step back and um get to know. You know, we appreciated the little sort of introduction we had to both of you at the beginning. Um, uh, Ulrike, you know, I'd be curious to know. Can you tell me a little bit about the your practice areas? Um, what are your specialty areas, or or what do you do a lot of? Um, yeah, I'd be curious to know about that. Um, which which goes a tiny bit in, into history of my professional life because I started off doing arbitration and also corporate because I had the idea of not only being late when people are in dispute, but I also wanted to create something and do something constructively positive, which when I was pregnant with our daughter, I realized, you know, it doesn't 
work and I can't sit in transactions and I can't, you know, have my my deadlines running in parallel. And so I just opted for really only doing arbitration. I also do a bit of litigation, but the main focus is definitely arbitration as counsel and arbitrator. But I kept this sort of corporate part in my soul. And I do an awful lot of post-M&A post disputes. I do... Um, lots of corporate related disputes. I do construction, construction turnkey, um, much in the area of, of sort of energy related renewables, a bit, but also of course I've done the, the ancient world's traditional energy supplies or whatever, you know, can produce something and smoke an awful lot. So, um, and it's quite complex. That's, that's what I, what I do, and the more international, the better. I do speak French and English, and of course some German. So I do arbitration in these three languages. And yeah, this is what what I do. Sort of in the firm which I set up in 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 March last year. Actually, we just um, we, we 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 say we are dispute experts, and I think we are. Um, we do only we we do focus only on all, all kinds of disputes. I've um, adjudication experience, mediation, and and of course litigation, arbitration, um, and that's sort of what we focus on with our team. We do counsel work, exquisite counsel work and and of course I serve as arbitrator and that's much much easier to do in a small structure as you can imagine. Sure now well two quite follow-up questions there do you also do mediation is it you said as a mediator too or is it mostly arbitration? No 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 I don't sit as mediator that's you know I'm as I said not that diplomatic I could have been an <laughs> ambassador in real life no I do I, I do think the idea of mediation is great and I do encourage my clients to do it. I accompany them sort of as a counsel, but I would not be able to be a mediator myself. Oh, no, that's not true. I did co-mediation. I, I did Schlichtung, we call it, something like that. That's what I do, but not on, not on my own. I had it, Bailey. I had a couple of, of very crazy and sort of even relating to space, lovely, um co sort of well maybe you would call it co mediation but yeah sort of that's sort of the idea of settlement and bringing the parties to the best of of what they can sure and for the listeners at home what's the name of your firm gantenberg dispute experts and we have a lovely beautiful orange as um, company color well absolutely and we'll include a link there um in the show notes too um lisa how about you uh, can you tell us some about your uh practice in particular sure um so I, I mean, obviously I also do arbitration um, as um, a counsel, and I, I'd say that my focus is rather on large construction disputes, um, and not so much on on post M and A disputes, or at least that's what I enjoy the most. I I like those real projects where you see something happening, and when you see that something is constructed, and you can talk about grouting and you can talk about weight and delay and th those kind of things. Of course, I, I also do post m &A disputes, which involve more numbers <laughs> and which I sometimes have the impression are not as tangible as, as construction uh, disputes. Yeah, that's it. Do you have a favorite of any of those that you really like doing that you see one of these comes in and you're like, ooh, exciting. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I do. I mean, of, of course, this large construction disputes oftentimes involve energy uh, projects, as Ulrike already pointed out. And back in the days, those were those bad nuclear power plants. 
and nowadays it's rather the uh, very and uh, the the um, nature-friendly uh, offshore wind farm projects and those are the projects that I really like. I, I, um, I've i been to one of the uh, plants or uh, yards recently up in the north of Europe and I saw how those large constructions are being built and that's just really amazing to see how people create constructions and like that. I mean, I sometimes have the impression that we only sit at our desks writing boring letters and putting like letters on white paper, um, but they are really creating something. And that's, I think that's very impressive. Yeah, um, oh, Ricky, the same same question before we uh, move on to the next uh, next one. Anything, any of those that are your absolute favorite that you get really jazzed about? Well, no, no, I, definitely. I think offshore wind farm projects are absolutely ah. cool because, I mean, you have at least something like 80 plants, which means like 80 individual sites with individual pro problems. And it's super complex. And in the end, it's really the man against the nature. Yeah. Too much wind, too many waves. And I mean, the idea is just to have wind. Yeah. <laughs> which is the trouble. No, it's it's super complex. And and I, 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 I also like them, so I do understand what, what Lisa says. But what I also really, really like an awful lot is these crazy multicultural projects for whatever reason, joint ventures or whatever people do. But, you know, with have some more different cultures in it and then sort of they set up and try to. I don't know, creative fabrication for cheese and somewhere with seven different nationals of whatever. You know, it's that's where I think human human behavior against law and against expectation works. And that's that's lovely. I you know, I need I I really think the international impact is yeah, that's what challenges me. You know, I had one arbitration which I was running as a chair, which was bilingual. That was an absolute nightmare. But in the end I can just say, you know, that's one of the most crazy things I ever did. So I like very challenging proceeding. I could okay, add so like to yes, I, I could add to what Ulrike said to the international background that um it's also the non legal topics that are that let land on your desk so with, with every dispute you sort of receive a black box but in a good way a black box of a new non-legal topic which you haven't been involved with so far which you haven't heard about much before so like an offshore wind farm i mean i don't know how it's and now now i know how it's construed but back then i didn't know or you know how I don't know, a cough syrup is being developed and marketed uh, in other countries. Or you learn, I don't know, about how an IT system is being implemented and, and or badly implemented, so it doesn't really work properly. Or, or I mean, how nuclear power plants work. I didn't know that. Uh, and now I know that um, there, there are details about it, uh, which I haven't wouldn't have heard about it without being in dispute resolution. Um, Ulrike, I would I would stay with you for a second. Are there any hot topics or anything really interesting, offshore or not, that is, is a hot topic that folks should know about? Offshore is, and I think still remains, and all the more probably in light of getting greener energy and solving our energy issues um, in these days gets more and more important. And the that's 
there are tons of questions. How do you, I mean, not only construction-wise and how to get the permits and, and how do you get sort of the generated energy onshore and you know that, and you have all these multi-players, which is, I think, one of the biggest challenges that you have super multi-parties involved. And the question is, how do you get them into arbitration? All with the same proceedings, multi-party, how do you get that into an arbitration agreement? How do you bind the guy? You know, if the the owner just settles with I don't know the producer of the 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 wind farm, or the you know the the windmill, um, the how do you sort of introduce whatever has been found there to to other subcontractors? And you know, in Germany we have the funny concept of third party notice, which is not familiar in other cases. But you know, this is this I think a really challenge is how to make these huge dispute or projects which are full of disputes on all layers of, of contracts how do you make that to become an efficient arbitration proceeding that doesn't run for 10 years doesn't cost multi-million dollars but to yeah to, to make it to something workable that's for example for me that's a hot topic and I think there are tons on everybody's table at the moment and we somehow fail because you know if you can and the issue is also we even can't access all these turbines, you know, because we have not the super permits. We can go there like seven hours by boat and look at them and then return. You know, it's 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 very special. And definitely, I mean, the what, what other hot topics are definitely coming from Ukraine uh, war and from COVID. And we have the issue of interruption of supply chains. We have the issues of embargoes. And I mean, you know, I think they're just tons of topics which are not new, 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 but in that uh, complexity and everything at the same time, I think, you know, we, we had embargoes before, but there was once in a while an issue with it, but now it's just, you know, has a different different complexity. And, and what is force majeure? What is force majeure indeed? And I think that's a question that uh, I know a lot of litigators in our and council and arbitrations are working on all over the globe. Lisa, same question or a similar question for you. Um, any hot topics that you're aware of that are on the front of mind? I guess apart from the the topics, I would add the layer of of artificial intelligence, which I think will be a hot topic in the future, because we see is in it that's especially true in the construction disputes. We see disputes that are so large that they are impossible to handle with exhibits, thousands and thousands of pages of exhibits, and and sometimes thousands of pages of submissions. And uh, and who's who's to read all those pages? It's If you calculate it down, it's impossible for, for arbitrators and law lawyers alike. Um, so I think the only way to, to get on top of that again is to use artificial intelligence um, to, to go through the documents and the data, and I think this will increase in the future. No, I think that, that, that that's a huge issue and a huge area over the ethics related to the usage of artificial intelligence, um, how it fits in as a tool, as it cannibalizes some of the work the council might do, um, all sorts of really interesting questions. Um, last last question for the two of you on, the, on in this set of topics of international arbitration in particular, um, and maybe we'll stay with you, Lisa. Um, if there is, if you could change one thing, you have magic wand to wave over international arbitration, you can uh, change whatever you like. Is there anything in mind that you would uh, singularly change? 
Ah, that's a very tough one. Um, I couldn't pinpoint it to one specific thing I would change. I mean, we always talk about efficiency in arbitration and, and time efficiency and cost efficiency in arbitration. I think those are two issues which uh, have been on everyone's desk for the last 10 years. And since they are still there, those topics are still being discussed. It seems like they have not been resolved yet. Um, but I don't think that it's one thing that you could change to um, to make it work. So it's rather the small things that need to be changed. Fair enough, fair enough. And how about you, Ulrike? I would definitely change the due process paranoias of arbitral tribunals and give them the courage to read earlier intensively their cases um, and also to say no to some degree and to not be only afraid of, you know, getting appealed. But I think much improvement is possible there. And if you look into state court proceedings, I have the impression sometimes, you know, they're much more stricter as to, you know, you had your chance, you had to write and now, you know, it's over, zack. And, and, you know, here you run another round and then, I mean, you know, you have these submissions from the parties where, you know, you nearly need to, to to dry your tears if you read them because, you know, it's so horrible, everything, and they need to write again. And then, you know, they get their right and they, they write again and that just, that's awkward. So I think a properly structured and yes, we, we respect the will of the parties and the agreement, but not for all craziness. Yeah. And so I think the idea is then in the end to really also master, give certain guidelines in which the proceeding can happen. And that needs some kind of courage also. Well said, well said. And I think that's uh, both of you are given a lot for the audience to think about and um, good points, good points. Um, well, listen, we're going to shift just one more time uh, before we get out of here uh, for the day. And, uh, you know, um, well, look, I will put this first question to you um, again, Lisa. Um, as your career has been developing, did you have any role models, mentors, anyone, thing like that, uh, guiding influences, anyone that was uh, impactful in your career or anything? Well, I, I would definitely say that my, my two mentors, partners at Baker McKenzie, who um, welcomed me in their team 10 years ago, uh, Jörg Risse and Heiko Haller, played an important role because um, they, I mean, for Jörg, he has joy in everything he does. So he has fun with all the workload that's on his desk. And that's very uh, inspiring to see. And, and with Heiko, he, no matter how big the piles are at his desk, on his desk, he always has an open ear for mentees like me and, and for clients alike. So he always takes the time to listen, which I think is very inspiring. And, and I, I'm just very happy to be part of that team. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why um, we are such a good team is that we are all friends. And I'm not only talking about those two, but also about the other team members. Um, I have another colleague, Markus Altenkirch, who I work together with in, in other projects, and he's so enthusiastic about everything he does, and it's, it's, his enthusiasm is, is contagious, and you just have to play along and tag along with him, because um, you should watch a football game together with him, actually. Uh, that's uh, uh, um, an experience you will ever, forever remember. Uh, he's, um, yeah, just 
those are my colleagues who I take bits and pieces from and who where I think that this is so cool and I want to be a little bit like them. But then, of course, also Rika is, is, is inspiring to me. I mean, we've been uh, lunch match um, founders and colleagues now for two years. And before that, we did the Düsseldorf lunches together. And I mean, we still talk about gender equality in arbitration, and she is already one of the top female players in arbitration. Well, that tees up nicely um, for one of the top female players in international arbitration. I'd be curious to know for you, what have been some of your guiding impacts or influences um, or events or anything like that? Oh, Lisa, that's so, so smart of you to say it. Thank you. I, I didn't expect it. I'm a bit touched. Um, I, you know, actually, always I had a, met plenty of great persons, not necessarily lawyers in my life who showed me that you can just rock it, you know. There was my grandfather who, you know, just, you know, you trust yourself, trust your instincts, go for it. And I think that was something how I was brought up and definitely um, I never I never thought that the issue of being a woman would have any limits, you know, that idea was very that didn't exist in my mind. So I, I, I just had ideas like everybody else. So that didn't exclude anything. And I I still don't um, think that one should, in, in, in thinking, limit oneself simply because one thinks one could be less well treated or it could be more difficult. I mean, just do it. Um, and whatever energy it takes, you don't know. We don't know how it would be different if I, I was Ulrich and not Ulrike, you know, but I, I just do it and then we go to the goal. Um, who definitely also inspired me is Wolfgang Kühn, my former partner. Um, I, as I say, I am a Kühn kind. <laughs> I was, I started with Wolfgang Kühn in, 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 in Heuking Kühn, my former firm. And I mean, it was definitely a very, tough lessons I learned but I learned an awful lot and I always had the I had much of freedom and I had always you know he he also tons of ideas and he made something out of it so that was that was good to see sort of that I was um, and there was also someone who actually he trusted in me and I think the idea of being surrounded by people who make things who develop things who have ideas but who do trust you that's important in early business life to to be confident and to feel that sort of yeah i i try it and i think they're wonderful persons around also lovely ladies in the arbitration scene and so i definitely take inspiration from you know everybody who thinks differently and who thinks out of the box and who who also inspires me is people who just you know do things and don't complain. I'm very fed up with this complaining society. Are you complaining about complaining? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> A bit inconsistent, is it? <laughs> oh, oh. And on that note, um, um, look, we're winding down here. We've got just these final couple of questions for you. Um, Ulrike, if you want to take this uh, first and then we'll, we'll pass it off to Lisa. Um, let's say you were approached by a current student, recent graduate, um, someone that's looking to to break into international arbitration or maybe your practice area in particular, what advice would you impart upon them? Do it. 
I mean, if they want to do it, they want to, they, they should do it. I mean, you know, I think the most important thing is we spend so much time on our work um, that you do something that you like and for which you could, you know, you do the extra hour and where even if you say, oh, gosh, I should sleep a bit more. But in the end, you're happy. And and this is, I think, the most important thing. Do something which 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 challenges you, which brings you joy and and if that's the arbitration, please do it. Um, you should have some self-frustration tolerance because it's a stony way and there are much more mooties than there are cases on the globe and probably you will not do your cross-examination in the $50 billion case in year three. It's just a long way, but it's it's absolutely worth it. And but it doesn't, to my understanding, not work if you say sort of, you know, I would like to come at nine and I would like to do it, leave at six, five, but then I do the most cool, the coolest job. That's something where I would say that's where the passion is lacking. But for the rest, yes, do it. And there's nothing which wouldn't work and try to be international, try to, you know, work on your languages, work on your network and learn to listen. That's something which to my understanding, many lawyers and law students don't learn and don't know because they just rather self-centered. And I think it's mm. super important to listen. That's great advice. And how about you, Lisa? Since since Ulrika said do it, I would add to that, do it with people you like um, or people who you would think you will like in the future. I mean, it's not that first meeting will make you best friends, but um, you should look out who you will be working with. So it doesn't really matter what the law firm is called, if it's a prestigious name or it isn't. Uh, it's it's the matter of who is the team, what are those people like, because uh, you will spend a lot of hours with them, basically more hours than you will spend with your life partner, um, at least the awake hours. Um, so those should be people who you get along with and you would have a beer with any time um, because this is also contributes to the fun in, in your daily work. Um, this, this would be one suggestion I would add to the do it, do it with the people you like. Very well, very well. And well, look, I have a, a final question and then a, a, follow, a, a final, final question here. And they're both short. Um, First, Lisa, this is for you as well. Let's say it's 5 p.m. on a Friday. You somehow, again, the same magic wand is back. You have no work to do or clients to manage over the weekend. How would you spend that time? Obviously with my family. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I have a four-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter, and they um, they are in an age where they still want to spend a lot of time with me. And I want to spend it with them and uh, as much as possible. And I think it's it's not always about the quality time. It's for the children sometimes also the quantity of the time. So you don't have to do fancy things with them, go to the zoo or amusement park or anything. Just spend time with them, read a book, stay in the backyard. I don't know, have a lemonade together. And, and they are super happy. Very well. Ulrike, how about you? Yeah, I would also do something with my family, definitely. Um, although kids are older and more challenging, so probably they would I would need to do some sports with them or something. But in the end, probably, you know, we would just go to the sea and yeah, enjoy life. I think I mean, this is good gone. food, nice place and be together. And I think this is yeah, 
with the family definitely and if, if we could then sort of maybe even integrate some friends it's it's why well, it needs to be a prolongated weekend sure no that's on those boats those that sound like great weekends well look here is uh, as we're wrapping up here and as we're getting ready to get out of here the final final question is um, some of you, I, both of you gave shout outs during uh, your respective answers throughout our time together. Do you have any other shout outs that you'd like to give uh, before we say goodbye? Um, how about you, Rick? As I, I think I can just repeat it. Be, be positive. Have your focus. Don't lose sight. But, you know, it, it doesn't need to work out straight away. We we need to be sort of a bit patient also with ourselves and Maybe we turn a bit to the left and to the right, but things go go out or right if we trust ourselves and we know where we go to and we know our strength. And I think it's no harm to ask a question also even. And although we all think we are just so super well educated and know it all. Sure. And how about you, Lisa? Anyone you want to give a shout out to back home? Um there's nothing to add to what Ulrika said regarding what, what people should consider. I would, if we give a shout out to people, I would give a shout out to our international ambassadors of arbitration lunch match, uh, the topic which we talked about most uh, in the last hour, because those those colleagues of us all across the world basically made the event happen. I mean, Ulrike and I would have been unable to book a restaurant in Bogota or to um, to find the arbitration crowd in Rome. Um, so it's it's all those um, female lawyers, colleagues of us who made it possible to to spread it um, cross border and not only stay within our five German cities with 80 women lunching, but uh, spreading it to 950 women in 32 cities all across the world and and as Ulrike said at the beginning there are so many more women who want to become our ambassadors and they want to become part of it and um i'm i'm uh, very curious to see how many women we will gather in the next round uh at the in in fall this year very well very well as it always does, especially when we have uh, two guests in the studio, um, the time has just zoomed and flown by. Uh, Lisa Orike, thank you so much for being so generous of your time, for talking about the arbitration lunch match, for dropping some knowledge upon us. Thank you so much. And well, would you sign us off? I am Ulrike Gantenberg, and there's no disputing it. You're listening to Trails of the Tribunal. And I am Lisa Reiser, and there's no disputing it. You are listening to Tales of the Tribunal. Thank you all, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah. Hey, listeners. Yeah, I didn't see you there. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. All that talk about food made me hungry, so I was just grabbing a quick bite to eat. <laughs> okay, all jokes aside, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lisa and Ulrike. It was a refreshing and interesting conversation from start to finish, not just because of the novelty of the idea, but because of the energy that these two ladies bring to making the community a better place. If you're a woman in the field and you're interested in meeting others, you should absolutely consider signing up. We'll include a link in the show notes. So that's it for this week. 
We'll have an episode of Disputes Digest for you over the weekend, along with a couple of more episodes before we head into the summer holidays. And we'll keep working on fresh new content, some new things and new wrinkles that we want to throw at you when we come back. Thank you so much for following. We deeply appreciate it. And well, speaking of which, we just passed the 2,000 follower mark on LinkedIn. I deeply appreciate each and every one of you that have joined Team TOT. I hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues. And if you haven't done so already, you'll consider leaving a review. We're almost at 20,000 downloads on our primary hosting platform, which is huge. We couldn't have done it without you. So from the bottom of my heart, deeply appreciate the support. And of course, we're going to turn it up, celebrate big when we hit that 20,000. Tales of the Tribunal is produced by MoBeta Solutions. Show music is done by Joshua and Jaden Campbell. That's it for this week. See you next time on Tales of the Tribunal, where practice meets personality. None of the views shared on today or any episode of Tales of the Tribunal is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any person or party for their appearance on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees appear on an arm's length basis, and their appearances should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.